my privilege this morning um, to, to welcome Gareth to the stage. Um, um, it's the first time I, I get to actually listen to, to, to Gareth preach, so I'm very excited. Um, he is a, an anointed speaker. Um, I, I've got to know Gareth over the past couple of years or so, a little bit, bit more and more. Uh, yeah, and he's truly, he blesses me, his character blesses me a lot. He's a, um, a loyal man, uh, and you, you really want to have him, have him on your side. Uh, he's just a, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a great character, um, and, and the Lord has really, has blessed him, he's blessed his life, and he, he's got such a, such an anointing on his life, and, um, I'm sure you're gonna, you're definitely gonna receive from the Lord through, through his preaching this morning, so please do open up your hearts, um, and let's give him a, give him a hand. How to kill the sermon before it starts, when you say nice things, and then it doesn't turn out quite like that, so... I'm hoping for the best. But as I returned from Brazil, um, we reflected on, on, well, I reflected on, on what happened in that, that missions trip. Um, and I just want to share one or two stories that, that really impacted my life. And uh, we were praying, I think it was on the third night, and um, I, it was hectic. I think we had been praying for about two and a half hours. And I'd, I'd been very clever, very strategic because there was this lady in a wheelchair, or the gentleman on this night, and I thought to myself, there's no ways that I'm going to pray for this guy. There's just, there's just no ways. And so I quickly, in one of the breaks, I quickly went up to Mark, and I said, Mark, geez, you need to come help me here, buddy. And then I said to Alan, I said, please, El, please, please, I need help, I need help. There's, this wheelchair is not going away from me. And, uh, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and eventually there was nobody else in the queue. And so this guy came forward, and... I mean, I'd heard about this, and I must be honest, I never really believed it. Um, how can people in wheelchairs walk? And anyway, God just said to me, you're going to pray for this guy. And Alan, Mark, everybody in the team just, just absolutely left me high and dry. And so there I was, and I put my hand on this guy, and I asked what had happened. He hadn't walked in five years. His hip had degenerated. <laughs> right. We go, we're going to set up ourselves for failure. Um, it was quite good because the night before that, I'd prayed for somebody who had a demon, and it was fantastic because this person just started vomiting all over the church, and everybody was high fiving me. And yeah, I, was, I was the man, I was the man, I could drive out demons. And now there was somebody in a wheelchair, and I just thought, How the mighty fall! And so I just thought at that moment, I've just got to trust God. And I prayed for this guy, and he didn't want to walk lots, he didn't want to walk lots. All he wanted to do was to be able to get out of the wheelchair, go to the toilet by himself without his family having to carry him there. And so we prayed for this guy. And um, before I even knew it, he was out of the wheelchair and he took six steps. And then he just stood and waited for somebody to hold him. And I just, I just started crying because I doubted God. But this guy believed for this guy, my faith wasn't important to him. It was his faith. And he had come with a purpose. And his purpose was to walk. And two nights later, on the Sunday night at the revival service, he came back to the church. And he got out of his wheelchair and he walked again for me. And he came back to thank us. And every single one of us on that has, has that miraculous story. Um, then there was another lady. She was... Probably the ugliest woman I have ever met. 
And I mean it. I looked at her. I said, please God, no. I can't pray for her. She was just... Anyway, once again, prayed for her. She was the most beautiful person I have ever met in Jesus Christ. She danced with me. She, she had a smile when because she, she came with crutches. And so the two of us were dancing. Her crutches were lying on the floor, and we were just dancing. And she was dancing with her son, and her son came, and he was crying. He said, I haven't danced with my mother in 20 years. And I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, I've judged this woman on what she looks like. And yet, underneath all of that, this is the most incredible, beautiful, she kissed me. She held me. She loved me. She told me that God was going to bless me. And I just thought to myself, revival comes from within. It doesn't matter what people look like. Revival is of the heart. It's of the soul. It, it, it comes from within. And so this morning I want to chat to you about that. I want to talk about revival. I don't want to talk about revival that happens uh, with great preachers. I want to talk about revival that starts from within. It's like the spring that wells up within a church. It's when a church decides that its city needs to know Jesus Christ. I don't know if you remember the, the global day of prayers that happened about 10 years ago. They started out in Cape Town at Newlands and, and, and Graham Power got all of those guys there and Newlands was just booked out and everybody went there. Then we brought it to East London. We brought it to Port Elizabeth. And around the country there was this global day of prayer. We prayed for revival. And they released a video of 10 churches around the world that had seen remarkable, remarkable revivals. And I went to one of those churches in Kenya, in Nairobi, in a, little, in a little suburb off Nairobi. And as we drove into this church, I'll never forget the scene. There were marabou stalks, marabou stalks in the, in the center of, of Nairobi. And I looked at this thought, and, I, and as we got to the church, it was this wooden, dilapidated church, half the size of where we are sitting. The door couldn't close. The roof couldn't, couldn't stay on without. And out of this church, I said to the guy, I said, is this it? They said, out of this church, Nairobi came to its knees. People at this church didn't pray for a bigger church. They prayed for a Christian Nairobi. And it was a group of people, a group of people in that church that decided that Nairobi needed to know Jesus Christ. So the question we've got to ask ourselves is, what is a, a, a revival? What is it? Am I part of it? Or am I going to sit here waiting for some visiting preacher to come back to East London that's going to speak a word over us, that's going to tell us that God has great plans for us? Are we going to sit and wait for that? Or are we going to say to ourselves as a church based in the city that our, our city needs Jesus Christ? The people we work with need Jesus Christ. The children we teach need Jesus Christ. The people we drive alongside those folks that are shooting through the red robots need Jesus Christ. Or do they need our wrath? Do they need our judgment? Do they need us just to lose it? Or does Jesus need to come? I believe that revival starts in a local church. When you look at the Toronto Blessing, it started with six guys. Six guys got together every morning of their lives. They decided that Toronto needed Jesus. And they got together every morning, every night. They prayed for the Spirit of God to come upon them. Six local guys. And it spread through the world. You look at the Methodist Church. started with two brothers, John and Charles Wesley. They decided that together with two other guys, they needed to reform the church. They prayed every day. They prayed for revival. 
And I laugh at the Methodist church today because when you pray for somebody and they get slain in the spirit, they say, you need to leave. But when you read about John and Charles Wesley, they were praying for everybody and everybody was just falling all over the place. Revival starts local. It doesn't start from somebody coming in and preaching a good word. It starts when a group of people decide that their hearts need to be changed. Their hearts need to be revived. Revival starts when we accept that the scriptures are the blueprint to who we are. When we take the scriptures and we apply it. When we look at what the Bible is saying to us. When the Bible is saying forgive 70 times 7. It's not just a, a, a number. It's a holy number multiplied by a holy deck. We need, to, we need to forgive. We need to walk the extra mile. We need to take tunics off our backs. We need to give, not a tenth, but we need to give with a cheerful heart. The Bible is our blueprint. And the question we've got to ask ourselves is, is the Bible part of who I am? Does the Bible challenge me? When I read it, am I just ticking it off and saying, okay, I've done it. I've done my quiet time. Or is the Bible there in front of me on my desk to challenge who I am? We need to accept these scriptures. Our Christianity is not a right to sit in this church, if I may say so. But it is a response to the call of Christ over our lives. Listen to what I'm saying. Your Christianity is not a right to sit here. Your Christianity is a response to the gift that God gave us of his son on the cross. It doesn't make us better than the person next to us. Listen to this. For this reason, we need to accept that our, in our lives, in our lives is created a world changer. In our lives is created a world changer. Someone whom God has called to use. That's what revival is. Revival is the acceptance that I am a world changer. And I wonder how many of us will walk out of this door today, grab a cup of coffee, eat the cookies, get in our car, and only worry about church next week. How many of us are going to walk out of that door and say, you know what, I'm a world changer. I have revival brewing in my heart. Something inside of me says I need to respond to the call of God upon who I am. And we need to leave that church saying revival starts here. I want to show you a video. That's what we're doing right now. One month ago, we're in the classes. We're learning the sign language. The language of love. The language of grace. The language of forgiveness. The language of acceptance. The language when we walk out of there, the cameras are rolling. And there's somebody out there who is needing every single one of us to touch his life. You see how emotional he got? There's a guy that's been deaf for 20 years. And all of a sudden, people in the square are dropping apples and offering it to him. Have you seen that video of the beggar that's sitting in the street? And somebody comes up to him. And the guy goes and he says, can I have something to eat? And the oak just says, no, sorry. Can I have something to eat? No, no, I'm sorry. And eventually they give this beggar something to eat. And the guy goes to the beggar and he says, can I have something to eat? And the beggar offers him one of his burgers that he just received. 
Isn't it amazing? When you look, when you look and somebody touches your life, you, you look at that and you think to yourself, is he deaf? Is he a beggar? We don't expect people of different status to be in our lives. And that's where the church has to revive itself, chaps. This is where I believe we have to change our mindsets. We need to go into our city. We need to walk into every person's life and we need to offer Jesus Christ. We need to take it seriously. We need to, we need to take deaf people and let them hear the gospel again. Blind people, let's open their eyes. Mute people, let's teach them how to sing. But our Christianity is not a right to just sit here today. Our Christianity is a response to the call that God had over our lives. You see, when Christ walked the earth, it was just a physical expression of God's love. Christ could only touch people where he was. But he says, he says to those people, he says, when I go, somebody greater, someone greater will come into your life. And you will be able to do greater things. John 14 verse 12. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do. This is Jesus talking. He's telling me that I'm going to do greater works than him. And you know what? It's true. Because Jesus never ever healed somebody in a wheelchair. Because wheelchairs weren't around at that time. <laughs> but he allowed me, somebody who doubted the essence of what it's all about, he allowed me to see somebody walk so that he could say to me, Buddy, don't play with my power. Don't play with who I am. Don't doubt me. He allowed an ugly woman to become the most radiant, beautiful soul that has ever touched my life. To dance with me in church. To hug me. To kiss me. To tell me that Jesus loves me. Greater works than these you will do. You will do. Not the preacher. Not, not the guy flying in. Not the guy that's going to come to us in, in time to come. He's saying, you. You and me. The guys that walk out of that door today. He has empowered us with the spirit of God to bring revival to the people in our lives. You and I can do greater things than Jesus did here on this earth. When we were in that one church, you remember that when we went, it was the one night, I think it was a Thursday night, we went to this, the outskirts of, of, of uh, Manaus. And we went to this church that they were still building. And they had speakers on the, on the, on the, on the lamppost. There were no sides, there were no windows, there was nothing. And they had speakers there. And, I, and, and, and we sat there and they brought us water. And, and people were just pouring in from the streets. Now, do you remember that night? And as I sat there, I thought to myself, my gosh, this is what it must have been like for Jesus. Jesus must have been in this church and people just heard that somebody was here to heal. Somebody was here to touch them. And people just flooded. And it was just this barrage and noise of people. And all they wanted to do was just be prayed for. People are hungry, friends. People are hungry. We don't need to go to Manaus. Please, we don't need to go to Manaus. It's good. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. But there's a Manaus here in East London. There are people hungry for the gospel. There are people that need to hear the word of Jesus Christ. 
We are the letter, friends. We are the letter of Christ. We are the message. And our message is only purified and is only viable when we deepen our relationship with God on a daily basis. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 is beautiful. It says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the spirit of God dwells in you. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that God's spirit dwells in you? He doesn't say there. He doesn't clarify. He doesn't, he doesn't put status and say, if you are a preacher, if you are a minister, if you are a CEO, if you have a certain bank balance. He doesn't say that. He says, you are a temple of God and God's spirit dwells in us. That's mighty. That's powerful. As JP was saying this morning, what we utter what a challenge. Do we care what, what our actions and our words do to others? Do we? You see, revival starts when I start worrying about the status of my heart. You see, when the Spirit of God comes into our lives, we become profoundly knowledgeable about what is right and what is wrong. Paul says it. He says, my body does the things I know it shouldn't do. The mind does the things that it should do. And there's this constant turmoil between Paul and, and how he lives his life. When the Spirit of God comes into our lives, life becomes difficult. Because when you swear at the taxi driver, the Spirit of God says, that's not right. When you write off a kid at school, the Spirit of God says, that's not right. You see, friends, something profoundly different happens when we go through revival in our own lives. Like those people there, they could have gone through a month of training, learned all the signs, left that door and said, I can speak the language of the deaf. They could have walked out with a manual under their arm that said, sign language. We do it. I can speak the language of God. The manual called the Bible. What do we do with it? What are we doing with it? You see, friends, you can go to Johannesburg. I took my sons up to Joburg one year. Joel was a little boy. And I'll never forget. He was sitting in the car and we got to Bayer's Nordia Drive. And there were two McDonald's in Johannesburg. There was one on that side of Bayer's Nordia and one on that side at the, at the engine garages. And you can go to Joburg. And you can drive around Joburg on the white highway, the concrete highway. It's, it's a circular road. And you can go and you can drive all the way around, get back onto the same road and come all the way back. And you can come back here and say, I've been to Joburg. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Not until you've been into Dipsluit and into Meadowlands and into Duncan, uh, um, into Dobsonville. Not until you've been into Santon and into Houghton. You haven't been to Joburg when you just drive around a place. You haven't been into the essence of Christ when you just come to church and go. And come to church and go. You can circulate all you like. But until you get off this road of coming to church, quiet time, Bible study, quiet time, Bible study, 
going to church, giving my tithe. No, get off that rut. Get off the bus. Get into people's lives. Hear their stories. Hear their stories. Pray for them. And when somebody looks ugly to you, just know that God lives in that person. When somebody's a prostitute, just know that God created that person to be a world changer. Who knows? The next taxi driver that cuts you off could be one of the greatest preachers. Now please, I'm not asking you to stop in the middle of the traffic and get out and go and pray for the ugly. I'm asking us to look at our hearts, look at our attitudes, look at who we are. You see, friends, it's easy to speak the language of love when we are surrounded by each other. It is. It's easy to, to bless one another. It's easy to, to tell each other that God loves you and have a great day. And You know, we, we become different people when we're surrounded by different people. I was challenged by a boy at school. One of those difficult boys. I get emotional when I think about it. But... And the teachers are on him all the time. Grade 7 boy. They're on him all the time. And then one day I called him over and I said, I said, buddy, I want to tell you something. You could have been head boy of the school. You could have been playing 13A rugby. You have such potential. And I'll tell you, this kid irritates me. But I'm just, I'm going through the motions and I'm trying to just changes. Like I'm saying, you're such an aggressive boy. And every time somebody jokes with you, you retaliate. And, and I'm just, anyway. The next day, the father's in the office. Oh, there we go. Sincock's in trouble again. He comes in there, tears, and he gives me a document. He says, I want you to read this. He says, the words that you spoke to my son, my adopted son, has changed his life. We had tears last night, and he's made a decision to change. I'm moaning at the guy. And all of a sudden, his life is changing. I read the story. He comes from a broken home. His mother is a prostitute. She's an alcoholic. She wants nothing to do with it. Every time he goes there, every second weekend, she's still in East London. Every time he goes there, she snorts cocaine. He lives under that. He's been adopted by this poor family that haven't got jobs. They can't work. They've got another son who's not even the Oak's brother. I didn't even know that. I thought they were brothers. But he's also being adopted from another. Th- and I'm looking at this, this, this couple. And I'm saying, but why have you got these children? And he says to me, he says, because love, love conquers all. Not about how much money we've got. It's not about what we own. It's about what we give into people's lives. That's what revival is. Revival is when I allow my heart to be the heart of God. Revival is when I allow my heart to touch the untouchables. And we have to ask ourselves as a church, are we going to go through the motions or are we going to become a church of revival? So what is revival? If I had to ask you here this morning, what is revival? Do you think you could honestly give me answers? Have we thought about it? Have you thought about the cost that it would be to us if we decided to become a church under revival? Have we thought about the cost that it would become to us if we had to be coming here every morning to pray for our city? Can you imagine Andre standing up and saying, 
Prayer meeting every day, six o'clock. Half an hour. Prayer meeting every night, seven o'clock. What a cost. Have we thought about it? Have we thought about not just doing quiet times, but reading the scriptures so that it actually cuts my heart to the core? Have we thought about what it would mean to come here and cook soup and to take soup to all the people out there that haven't got food and to tell them that Jesus loves them? Have we thought about it? Or are we just going round and round and round? You see, friends, I must say, though, that before worrying about changing the world, we need to change ourselves. We need to change who we are, exactly what JP was speaking about. Every breath that comes in is filled with the Spirit of God, but what comes out? It's amazing what God has laid on JP's heart has been laid on my heart. Because I've got to look at my life. I've got to make a change. I said to God the other day, God, you need to help me. You need to help me repair relationships with people. And it's hard. It's hard to start being nice to somebody that has irritated you for so many years. I've been trying it with one of the people at school. Yes, and it's hard. Flippin' just ignores me all the time. I just keep on going in every morning. 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 I just want to give up. But I'm not going to. I need to repair relationships that have gone wrong. And it's hard. But it's the gospel. It's what revival is all about. John 14 verse 15. He says, if you love me, I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to pray these words. Listen to what God is saying through the scriptures. He's saying, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray that the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him, nor does it know him. But you, you, you and me, friends, you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. John 14, 21 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. You see, friends, the essence of Christianity, the essence of revival, the essence does not come from programs, friends. The essence comes from you and me. It comes from our desire to be used by God. I want to challenge you. I'm not asking you to take this church into a new direction of revival. I'm not asking that. That's Andre's call. I'm asking you to take your world into a state of revival. I'm asking you to take who you are into a state of revival. I'm asking you to take your relationship with Christ into a state of revival. I'm asking you to take your world and to turn it upside down. I'm asking you to take your heart and to put it on the altar before God. And to say, here I am. 
everything of who I am, I lay before you today. And to look at that thing and to ask yourself, what needs to be cut out? What needs to be taken off? I challenge you. Are we in revival? Christianity has only spread throughout the world based on the testimony of a few people who decided that when Pentecost came upon them, they would become slightly different. And when Pentecost hit them, and they started praying in all sorts of tongues, thousands were added to their number. We have to ask ourselves whether we are in a state of Pentecost. Or are we just watchers and bystanders? I want to end off by saying that all scripture points to an intimate relationship with God and a real relationship with people. All scripture points to an intimate relationship with God and a real relationship with people. The cross. We cannot have a real relationship with people if the intimate relationship with God is not intact.